Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me those ears. And if you're watching this on YouTube or video, thank you for the eyeballs. I appreciate it. Today, I have the, the sales evangelist, Donald Kelly. What's happening, Donald? How you doing this morning? Man, Victor, I'm so excited, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here, man. <laughs> man, thank you. The last time we met, uh, we were at, over at Outbound. We'll talk about that later. But before we get kicked into this, uh, why don't you give the folks a, you know, a Donald Kelly, who am I? Don't be modest. Don't be bashful. Let them know who you are and how great you are. Well, I um, I started a. I'm a little kid from Spanish Town, Jamaica, um, that just started a podcast in 2012. Uh, had fun with it and got some recognition early on with the podcast. I was a technology sales rep, got into software sales, and since then, since the podcast has grown, taken off a little bit, we uh, fortunate we just crossed over the four million all time download mark. Um, and we just we were recognized this year by Salesforce as top Salesforce influencer, and also LinkedIn as a LinkedIn Sales Insider. And um, we train clients and individual sales reps across the globe, teaching them how to improve, build pipeline, and and convert pipeline. Um, are two main things. So it, it's fun. Um, recently wrote a book as well called Sell It Like a Mango. It's a new seller's guide to closing more deals, utilizing some stories and principles. Growing up as a kid in Jamaica, trying to sell <laughs> on the street <laughs> and uh, how those apply to B2B selling. Um, and uh, also wrote a textbook with uh, my my co-author for our publisher called Stukent there out west. And it's, so it's been a fun ride over the past several years. <laughs> that's amazing. By the way, first of all, congratulations on the four million all-time download. That's a big number. That's a huge number. I know that Thank for you. a fact. It's a big number. Uh, congratulations on the Salesforce and LinkedIn recognition. Uh, the kid from Jamaica does well, right? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I love it, man. I, lo- I love, I love it, man. I-, I think that's fantastic, man. So uh, let's kick it off a little bit with uh, you. Sure. You were mentioning right before we jump on the podcast, you were out somewhere, you know, and you were going to get into the story. I said, "Hold on, man. I want to get this on on video and audio." So tell me a little bit about what you were doing this weekend. Yeah, fortunately, our our church has an organization um, called Helping Hands, and whenever whenever there's a natural natural disaster, they're usually one of the first on the scene. Um, and we were able to participate this weekend for the past month. Um, they've been focusing efforts over on the West Coast. And yesterday, we, or on Saturday, spent time in uh, Cape Coral, uh, where we were spending the day retarping roof, um, like cleaning out uh, things out of people's house, getting rid of muck, um, taking down, down trees. And it's just fascinating, Victor, because we're driving on these roads, and it's not like only, you know, no one were f- in, f- impacted. Like, everyone seemed like they were impacted by the storm. Uh, we were finding people with their whole lives thrown out in front of them, in the, literally on the corner of the curb. Like, kids' toys and memorabilia, I mean, beds, clothing, furniture, like, everything in your house, just imagine getting tossed out. And I was like, it was just a humbling experience. Um, and help me to realize I need to be grateful for what I do have. Yeah, I love the attitude of gratitude. It is There's something real. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me, but there's something real. Because, you know, Puerto Rico's gone through its storms also and hurricanes. Mm-hmm. And But there's something weird and real about seeing toys strewn about. Yeah. I don't know what it is, right? When you see somebody's uh, belongings, like, thrown out in the street, there's something about that. I don't know if you can peg that for me. 
Yeah, I think it's like I have a kid, um, and he's three now. And like we went to one of the families we went to. Uh, what they they have a they have two kids. They have a, a older daughter. I think she's probably around eight, and they have this three year old. And they had him come. They didn't bring him to the to, to the house. But he said, this is a quote, uh, he said, his mom told us that he said, I want to make sure, I want to see if I can find any of my toys. I want to see if I can uh, save any of my stuff. Oh, man. And just hearing that from like a little three-year-old, in my mind, I just think about my little guy and I think how like their whole world was just turned upside down. Um, and she's, the mom said he was confused because he didn't know what to expect. Like when it got to the house, he didn't want to go inside though. Um, and they'd done all, all the major big stuff at that point. So it was safe for him to go. But it was just still crazy. Just kind of think this little person, this little kid that don't necessarily understand the the impact of what's going on. And just seeing that toy there, it's like, what did they do to deserve that as a kid? They're just so innocent. And I think that's the, it's the innocence part that makes it so heart-wrenching when you see a kid toy. Like, I mean, adults, we... We're weathered by life, so to speak, no pun intended. But these kids, they had, they're just innocent. And I, and I think that's what maybe jerks at it. And um, they're defenseless at times. Um, and just thinking about my little guy being a three-year-old, my, I mean, I, I almost teared up a little bit on that trip. I'm like, man, just so, it's so, uh, so humbling and, and, I don't know, touched you to the soul. Yeah. Something, something does happen when you become a parent, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you have a, a new sensitivity button for what's going on in the world. <laughs> you do. I mean, you you just normally yeah. do, right? It's like now you feel the pain and the angst of people, especially, you know, when they've lost their house and things of that mm-hmm. nature. And I know this is a sales show, but I, I, I wanted to highlight that and I wanted you to talk about that a little bit sure, because sometimes good. people think all we do is sell just to make <laughs> money, you know, and it's nice to know there's a human side to what we do, right? It's all about oh, giving sure. back. And so, but t- tell me a little bit about, you know, how did you get in? I mean, you, you go from, you know, you come from Jamaica, then you go into sales. I mean, I know you said you went into software sales, but did you, like, like when was the first time? I like that. It's almost like an origin story for a Marvel comic, right? But it's like, what's your origin story? Like, when did you say, you know, I think I kind of want to be in sales? Yeah. So I in, in Jamaica, you probably noticed too from Puerto Rico, like, there's a lot of people have like a little tienda or shop at their house, right? Um, or in the neighborhood. I just realized like this, just, this is like two island boys talking. Right? Yeah, man. <laughs> <Just realized. laughs> so um, we had a, our family had a little shop. So it was like a little com- you know community convenience store. People in the mm-hmm. in the area could come to. And my I didn't know any different that it was sales. I really didn't understand this is sales until I got to college, and it sounds crazy. But all this time, I was just thinking, I'm a bit, you know, as a businessman, what I say in Jamaica, I'm a businessman, you know. Um, and you know, my dad was uh, in business. Um, he is an entrepreneur in Jamaica, had several businesses that were doing decent um, and known in the community. And it was just like this, this idea of I could be like that. And in order to be like that and to inherit the kingdom someday, so to speak, was I needed to become a businessman, thus an entrepreneur. Fast forward, and, and this is a, the first thing I ever sold was, was I, I tried to sell was mango. Um, and that's why the book has that name. My, um, we, had my, we had a mango tree in our front yard and my cousins had me as a small one climb up to the mango tree and try to get mango um, for them. 
And then um, I, I realized that people want this stuff. What if I try to sell it? Because I see people in a community or in, you know, in town try to s- sell mangoes. I could do that too. So I put these mangoes on this like flower stand in front of our house where the flower pots go and try to sell it. And it was horrible. I didn't sell anything. That's another story for another day. That's a book <laughs> altogether. But it gave me this idea, like though, Victor, like I could do this. And I remember I did sell one thing. I had cookies that I put in little baggies and I sold one to one person. And I, it was just like this exhilarating feeling that I had something that people wanted and I was able to receive uh, compensation for that, um, that I was able to use. So now when it came to the United States, if I see my aunt sell stuff in Jamaica, my dad, my mom, everyone that I know, that's how they're businessman and businesswoman. If that's the case, I need to adopt that. So I wanted to get money to go back to school. So I was just like this hustler kid that came to the States, right? So I would go to uh, Albertsons and they had sale and I thought my mind just turned to business. There was like four pieces of candy for uh, like Reese's it was like um, 50 cents each or was some, I think like 25 cents each. So you get four, four dollars. So I would go to school and sell them for 50 cents. Um, and now I'm making double my money, right? Making my money back. And I would became the candy guy, started selling stuff. So again, associate, sell stuff, create something, create a business, make money. In high school, I wanted to get money to go back to school and things like that. We come from, my mom came here as a single parent. My mom and dad separated when I was a kid. So it was a little bit tighter here in the U.S., and we, um, so instead of me being the oldest begging for money, I would find ways to be able to generate money. I would do yard work for people or create opportunities. So again, this mentality is all leads up, right? So when it came to college and my buddies saw me like with this hustler mentality, one of them, Shem, he was a mentor for me for school when I came in as a freshman. He's like, bro, you should think about sales. And I was like, what? So um, I went and I applied to Dish Network um, and sold okay. Dish Network see, over the see, phone. <laughs> Donald, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because there's so much good stuff in what you're saying. I know you're on a roll here, but I just want to break yeah, some of this apart. It. So we're going we're gonna to call college the demarcation point when we come back to it. But I want to <laughs> ask you a few questions because there's there's so much richness in what you're saying that I just kind of want to make sure that you know I and everybody else listening or watching appreciates this. I wanted to ask you because you, you mentioned your father and you say it very quickly and your mother. But you said your father was an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know, like how, how much you, and I know that's molded you and shaped you into being that type of person. But, you know, I always ask the question, you know, that some people seem to get, you know, a head start in life because they have parents who've done it before. How mm-hmm. much do you think your parents really influenced your entrepreneurship and how did they do so? Specific. Give me some examples. I'll say, uh, I would say a hundred percent, Victor. Um, and I'll give you, so here's a, I found my, I did a podcast episode with my mom because I didn't know this part of her story until later on. Really? Um, you did a podcast yeah. with your mom. That is awesome. I did a, <laughs> I did, I did one. I did the bestsellers in history and I threw her into that series. <laughs> wow. Um, and we Way had her on a, the show. So when I, my dad, he had this, and he was like known throughout Spanish town as, you know, Mr. Kelly. <laughs> it was, and I didn't understand my, my name reputation until later on. Um, and funny story with this, uh, we went back in 2017 and someone saw me and my mom was like, hey, and our family was like, this is Donald. And they're like, oh my goodness, this guy jumped out of his car. He came over to the road, Mr. Kelly, Mr. Kelly. And I was like, <laughs> so anyways, so my dad had this reputation. So seeing his business and seeing what he was doing and my mom and him separated when I was young. So, but, but I still was able to, he paid for school, you know, I went to private school and I had all the luxuries like you could have in Jamaica, um, in, in that, in that vein. Um, and he, uh, 
he, he but it, it, I would go and see his empire, so to speak. He had a cesspool company. It wasn't all that glamorous. <laughs> he had a blueprint organization, and he had this big, like, square in the city um, that they had events at, um, like church events and people who put on concerts. And um, then he started a restaurant called it KFC, uh, Kelly Fried Chicken, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, like, <laughs> so. <laughs> So Makes seeing sense all to of, me, man. <laughs> seeing all of that, Victor, Jamaica being a third world country and the economy isn't pretty, it isn't nice. So if you are thinking about doing anything, I mean, people became police officers or they would go into teaching or things like that. But Jamaica had a beautiful education system, still does. And it's one of those major things that people get exported, so to speak. They go to states in Canada and to England because education is great in Jamaica to go find opportunities abroad. But folks who are there, you have to survive. So my dad was able to take that knowledge and experience that he had and his trade and turn those into business. I mean, the blueprint companies still thrive to this day in, in Spanish town, and it's crazy. My sister now owns it, my half-sister on my dad's side, and, and, um, and takes runs the organization. And I was talking to her the other day. Um, so the point, though, like all of that and seeing physically seeing that stuff – and hearing people say, you know, that's one day could be yours. You're going to do that someday. You're going to inherit this. It's like the only boy, right? <laughs> um, and just as a kid, um, like just thinking and hearing that stuff just kind of fueled me to say, well, I could do this if dad did it. And then my aunt, Aunt Ivy, I did, a, I did some content on her as well. But Aunt Ivy, she would come to the States, buy products, take them back to Jamaica and resell them. And when there was like oil, like, um, you know, cooking oil back in the 80s, like a little shortage... She would find suppliers and find, um, let's just say, unique ways to negotiate. <laughs> she had, yeah. she knew all the, the, you know, she knew all the hustlers in Spanish Town. So she would have oil, and she became like almost like a monopoly in our city, where she right. was selling these oils from manufacturers, <laughs> um, so f folks can have this. And she, she just, she created these opportunities, and she made the store at the house that we had in the community. So Aunt Ivy was like the whenever, like you think of a woman entrepreneur and a leader, I always go back to her. Right. So now we look at Ivy and look at that. And then my mom, she was, uh, she learned, she was a baby and she learned from her aunt, her sister, Ivy. And so she learned this idea of just like, you just make things happen. So her coming to the States and working multiple job and just taking this no, like, you know, don't just take life by the horns and just make it happen mentality. All of those things fuel together, encompass who I who I am and who I was because that's the only thing I knew. If I if you want to make money, you get products, you sell products, you earn money, you could survive and you could take care of yourself and others. So that was infused to me. So between my mom, my aunt Ivy, and my dad, that was a huge, huge, huge part in who I am and what I am today. How do you you know? It, it, it's interesting again, you know. We're both familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, yeah. his books, right? And I remember The Outlier. The Outlier is probably the, my favorite book because it talks about how, again, you have these advantages, right? And so, you know, you obviously had, uh, I'll call it the Holy Trinity, right? Your mother, your father, and Aunt Ivy, right? These three <laughs> yeah. people that said, hey, this is what you should do. So, the, as you say, they infuse you, imbued you with that. Yeah, this is how you do it. This is how you hustle. You always find a way to make something happen. You know, when you look at people who lack motivation, because I know you speak to people on both sales and motivation, mm -hmm. you know, what do you find sometimes for those? And what would you say to those people who, who didn't have, I'm going to call it the blessing of having the Trinity around them? It's like, you know, what do you say to folks like that who are just kind of maybe afraid, scared to do something different? What would you say to them? 
I think the biggest component is, again, I'm fortunate, I appreciate you putting that, and I never used that term, the Trinity, in the, with those three, but that makes total sense, so I may have to borrow that. Uh, thanks. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but one of the, the things that I say to those individuals is, is try to help them not necessarily, because when, when you find someone without motivation, it comes back down, and I just started listening to Atomic Habits, and the principle goes back to some of the mindset things that I follow and, and I've used and trained with. And the idea is like they don't necessarily know their true potential of what they're capable of doing. And if you want to inspire someone to get to a level, you need to help them to see what potential they what what they potentially have. So when I work with individuals that don't have that motivation, before you even get to the why, I like to help to shape that picture of what potentially could happen, sharing my story or sharing stories of others who they could relate to and help them to realize that we're no different than anybody else. We're just a human being just like them. But it's the simple fact that we have a strong burning like drive. So once we can help them to see that it's possible, then we help them to develop the why and help them to understand how they then can make that possible. Um, and in that 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 formula, I've seen a bit able to help a lot of the individuals that I've worked with, individual contributors. Because if I could, I can go and tell you, like, hey, you know, I've made X amount of thousands of dollars. You could do that. You know, you, you need to make money like that too. But if I'm able to help them to see the backstory, like, bro. I have no right being here. Um, I came from this my my background. I the, the, str- the struggles I had. I wasn't given like a you know like money. We gave. I got the formula and the genes per se, but not like the you know money dumped into my lap. You could if I did that with what I had. You have the same capability of the same makeups as well as a human being, and we have capability of doing great things. And I'll tie throw this in there. And what I tell individuals, I follow a concept, and it's called the "Why Not Me" principle because I think about this, Victor. There was like somebody's going to be the like back think back in the days like um for instance um somebody that made the the, the Wright brothers they thought that someday some human being was going to be the first ones to fly why not me why not us you know think about somebody who developed penis the I forgot his name who developed penis the lady who developed penicillin it was like somebody's going to figure this out in the future why not me like somebody was going to be the first one on the moon why not me somebody's going to be the first one on mars why not me somebody's going to develop the cure for cancer and it's not like an alien's going to come and do this it's going to be some human being on earth that's going to make that happen so why not me so with that idea if human beings are if the capabilities of doing this then why can't I do that? And once you can help them to understand that and see that vision, see that picture, then it's like, now what is driving you? What do you want most more than anything else in this world? And once you can help them to realize that, and I go back to my why, when we did come to the States, we didn't have fine, it wasn't pretty. Mom, we lived with a bunch of family uh, family together. And then my mom, she actually uh, filed for me first to come to the States. And then my younger brother uh, came to the States after that. So we were separated for a little bit there. But the drive, but there's a point in our life in high school where we fell off tough financial times and we were kicked out of our place, evicted. So that it made me realize I never want my family to be in a situation like that again. And so that why of being able to take care of mom now and all that the hustle that she did to get us here to the States, because people don't realize that, like the things you have to do to get into this country and to be here and the opportunities, it's not easy. Wait years and years. So all of the stuff that she did, it fueled me to say, I want her to have that comfortability and to have the situations taken care of and not have to struggle um, anymore. That pushed and motivated me. And when I, had my, when I got married and had my son as well, that became that, that why. So help them to see the vision of what is possible and then help them to understand their why. Then we can give them tactics and how to get there. That was a long answer. 
Oh. No, I love that. No, it was a great answer, actually. I love that answer. There, there, again, there's so much stuff in there to unpack. The, I like the why not me, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why not me, right? It's, it's something to get over. I like what you said because the, there were so many things. One is if you look at your background, you know, obviously you had great parents, right, uh, extended family. But you were also, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that your family, you know, divorced, right? So, you know, some people could use that as a crutch to say this is why I didn't make it. You come to a country that's probably you're not familiar with, right? Yeah, you have some people here, but it's still rough, right? Uh, you get mm-hmm. evicted because, you know, money's, money's not flowing right. You know, all these are reasons for you to claim victimhood. And what I love about your story is that somewhere in there, there was that inner, that inner engine that said, uh, no, uh, we're not doing that. And, and it's, it's rather fascinating. You said, this country has so many opportunities, which I've always said. I mean, I'm, the, I'm that guy that preaches, you know, I love the United States of America because there's so many ways you can make money here and be prosperous, right? Because I think that's the key. It's not money. It's really mm-hmm. about being prosperous and being happy. You know, when you came here for the first time, you know, what were some of the obstacles you faced, you know, in terms of just trying to get going? Like, you know, what were some of the basic things that you said, okay, this is different. I got to adjust. Okay, I need to do this because I need to start thinking like this. What were some of those mechanisms, those mental mechanisms you need to kind of just shift out of Jamaica mode and say, oh, we're in the U.S. now. Let's shift. Um, the One of the hard parts was the even though Jamaica is uh, it was a British uh, underneath the, the it's a British Commonwealth. Right. So we speak English, but broken English. Being able to speak the uh, American English, <laughs> the proper English, quote unquote, um, was definitely a little bit was was a huge stumbling block uh, for me. So fortunately, we had cable in Jamaica. Uh, you know, I wouldn't tell you how we got the cable. It wasn't like <laughs> called Comcast. It was some we ghetto had cable. Friends. We had friends with long cables. So that's how we got. Hey, so. Got it. We would watch Saved by the Bell, so I would. I, I remember picking up on, you know, trying to learn proper speak the American uh, accent yeah. that way. I'm not say proper English, um, but like I, I the American you accent. You just yeah. get the same, you know, accent. Yeah. We'll call it an accent. What the heck? And then the um, so so that was a, a struggle, and I didn't want to. F- you get picked on as a kid when you're an outsider, so I had to assimilate as quickly as possible. As a third grader, being here in the country. You can imagine what was happening. And then also the dress, you know, I come with my, like, you know, the way I dressed in Jamaica compared to what the American kids would wear. It was definitely a, a, a huge difference on that side as well. Um, so it was, it was, it was, um, I had to try to fit into a culture that I didn't necessarily fully understand. I, I, I saw from afar. And um, that was one of those things that I remember I saw as a kid. Now, there are other areas that were a little bit more, uh, you know, challenging. But, I mean, a, and a lot was a little bit I was grateful for. But I'll tell you some of the things, so we'll go back to the, the letters. I remember I was asking this girl for a sheet of paper. And I would say, Can we, may I get a leaf of paper? Um, in Jamaica, we use leaf, you know, like the actual leaf. She had so confused on what I was, what I wanted. Um, and then she was, she started teaching me to say sheet. And then the house, saying house, the H, we kind of abandoned the H sometime in Jamaica. So instead of saying the house, I would say os, um, and O-U-S-E. And that was, you know, kids would pick on me for, you know, things like that. So the language probably would bury it was a big piece. Um, and then trying to adjust culturally and to dress and to be, look like an American, um, it was mentally, well, I guess emotionally, a little bit intimidating. Um, but, and I, I remember the other part was really scary too. I don't remember if you remember this in the nineties, but it was like a lot of, uh, guns started to go into, go to school. 
at that point. And I remember I first came here in 94 and there was some shooting and or someone had a gun at school, like a kid. It wasn't so much like a, you know, outsider, like, um, you know, shooting a school, but it was like an individual shooting another individual um, in, in Florida here. And I was terrified of going to school, Victor. I mean, Jamaica, you go, you might get beat up and you may, somebody may have a knife somewhere else, but they're not going to have that in school. Um, so I was scared. I was like, I, I remember literally thinking that I could die going to school as a kid. Um, and uh, like, what, I, what would I do? And, you know, mom telling me what to do in case, you know, somebody have something, don't pick any fights and things like that. So I was scared, timid, and then worried about people picking on me. So yeah. No, no, no. By the way, I'm from I'm from inner city Chicago, man. So, so I feel your pain. I feel your pain on that one. So, yeah. so fast forward. I mean, uh, you, now you you make it through high school. You survive all that. You're yeah. in college. Now let's get to your friend because I want to get to your sales background. I know we're talking about yeah. all this other stuff, but I think you know everything you've mentioned at this point. You know the why not me and, and some of the the obstacles you've overcome. I, hopefully, somebody's watching or listening to this will be motivated to do something. You referenced James Clear's book Atomic Habits, which I think is a fantastic <laughs> book, kind of get you going one percent at a time. So so fast forward us now. You know you're 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 in college. Let's start there. Let me do a little prelude to give context. Mm -hmm. um, and this part, many of you probably can understand a little bit more. So I'm a Latter-day Saint, um, belong to the Church of Jesus Christ, a Latter-day Saint. Mm -hmm. And if anyone have seen those, you know, you've heard the Mormon missionaries or whatnot. Sure. You go out for two years and you go and you go preach Jesus Christ all over the world, mm -hmm. right? So white shirt, tie, bicycle. Um, so I got into, um, when I, so fast forward doing that for two years, I went to Detroit. Um, Detroit, not a easiest place in the world. Rough city. No, too, not right? easy. <laughs> By the way, is, is is your family Latter Day Saints? Just me. Okay. When I was a t when I was in high school and uh, uh, middle school, I started going to church with a friend. Um, my other one of my other siblings also became a member of the church. So we're not. Uh, my mom supportive. She said whatever makes you happy, and she saw the things that I the how my direction of my life and how things were going. So she said, this was, must be a good thing. You tested by the fruits, right? Um, so she, um, she was supportive of that. Um, but I, she allowed me to, she supported me, encouraged me to go on a mission. Um, when I went on my mission, you pay for that to yourself for two years. But man, talk about like an entrepreneurial kick. And people don't get this. Like you're knocking on door. And I, and I hate to say it like this, but it was pretty much like this idea though, Victor, you're selling religion. You I mean, are. for two yeah. years, you're knocking on doors, you're talking to people, you're sharing an idea, you're bringing value to them, and you're hoping that they, quote-unquote, purchase. I've run away from people from like that. you. I've run away from people <laughs> like you. <laughs> like, no, not, not the so, door again. <laughs> I'm just being so, real, keeping it real. Straight man. up. I remember we would knock on doors, and kids would be like, my mom said she's not here. We're like, what? Your mom said she's not here? <laughs> Love it. Tell your mom we said we'll come back. All right. Um, so, uh, what time your mom said she'll be home? <laughs> um, <laughs> So now think about this now. So going through that experience, going out west to Brigham Young University, right. this is like an atmosphere for entrepreneurship. And if you look at it, go back, like most of the door-to-door -door security companies, that's what it started with these like Utah, these uh, Western kids who are uh, like Mormon LDS kids. Um, they would, they, they had no fear of knocking on doors. So companies right. like ADT and some of these things are like, oh man, let's recruit some of these guys to go knock doors in the summer. And you're making $400 on a door. So I'm like, is, this is not I bad. I don't know game. why I think that is the funniest thing in the world, Matt. That right? The, 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 that the training ground for door-to-door -door <laughs> is first becoming more. <laughs> I mean, if you're not using that in your speeches, may I recommend you use that somewhere in your speeches? Because that is funny to me. Right? The, uh, yeah, I mean, the... <laughs> 
I forgot the but question the, I was asked. So you can't, you're ridiculous. I'm like, wow, that does make sense. Yeah. Like, oh, I was going to ask you, where did you do your mission, by the way? Yeah, in Detroit. So I was in, in the inner in city of Detroit. You did say that. You did yeah. say that. that. I'm just trying to get that visual. I go, yeah, that, that logically makes sense, right? Yeah. So anyway, continue. I, I didn't so, mean to interrupt. No, no, you're, you're totally fine. So now think about that, though. Like, you have the idea of objection. You have the idea. Oh, you're not afraid of objection. You're not afraid of ta- of getting started. You're not. You understand principles. You know how to plan. Like you have to structure your days, and you're not like babysat. You're you know you're out there for two years, and you have an organization that you know leadership and so forth that guides you. And you have leadership skills because I became over a zone of like a district of like say ten other missionaries in a zone over like thirty missionaries, and then over the mission over wow. like 150 wow. as one of the assistants. So we would you know get people to the airport, help them get, you know, oversee their cars and vehicles and work with Salt Lake. Like you did so many things. It's like that skills that you brought now, it was light years ahead of my peers who didn't, who right. didn't do stuff like that. Maybe they're party for first now, year in the, freshman college. In the moment where you were doing this, mm-hmm. Donald, like you, you're not even aware that you're learning all this stuff, right? You no don't way. Really thinking about no, it, right? no, no. It was like, it was like you, you knew it was going to be good. It's going to help you in college. I thought it was, that's what it, and it did. It helped me in college and life. But when I got back and then I saw that opportunity, it was, I mean, my, my friends, well, and, and also, I didn't like the door-to-door security guys because they're pretty cocky, right? They're, I mean, you have kids who have more, who made more money in three months than their parents combined made in a year. And I'm not joking. There's one dude that I saw was driving like Escalade with a satellite dish in college. Who does that? But you're making four hundred dollars on a door. You're making, you're selling like you know, and there's some if you're doing a while, you're making could be five hundred five hundred dollars a door, and you're making you know what three, four, five doors, five five sales a week if you're pretty good at it. Four sales over the course of a summer, you're even like people are making six figures and they got caught with the golden handcuffs and they never left. They still do it, um, and you know, but it, it's a great opportunity to be able to earn some summer money in college. So now when my buddy saw me, he was like, man, you should think about doing Dish Network. You should do, go into sales um, because this was the atmosphere where you have these folks who have do like a lot of selling. So anyways, I went to the local Dish Network place that was in town and they do summer sales, but I just wanted to get something to make some money um, for right now while I'm in, the, in school. So I did the phones over the phone. So now taking my fear, non, non-fear of rejection, bringing that to the phone and now getting phone skills to talk to people, express value and try to help them give you a credit card to run credit and I mean credit card and their social over the phone to be able to get that information within like an hour to close a deal. Like that was really, again, gnarly stuff. So all oh of that God. put together. It, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah, all that put together is amazing. It's like you use the word weathered. I like to use the word tempered because you're tempered by all this stuff. You just become yeah. hard. So now now you become the phone guy also. Mm-hmm. And if I can say it like this, you get your ass kicked there for quite a while. After a while, you get it, right? And so you're getting your ass kicked all over the place is what it's going yep. to telling me, right? It starts yep. early and it just keeps going all the way through your life. But but in a positive way that yeah. you're having all these experiences that really add up, and yeah. so so now you you you've mastered the phone. By the way, you remind me of I don't know if you got a chance to talk to Brandon Bornanson, the CEO of Seamless.ai. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you yeah, so you and him have almost your college stories are so similar <laughs> in terms <laughs> yeah. of hustling. Like he was driving like an SLC, I don't know, uh, what is it, Mercedes class car, like in his freshman <laughs> year, because he was making so much money, you know, doing his side hustle. So, but anyway, I mean, so you're on yeah, the yeah. phone, you're doing your thing. Go ahead, man. And then I got into the timeshares, so I started doing uh, timeshares. What? No, no. Let me end this. No, 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 
right back, now. Back, 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 back. <laughs> so not the exact actual timeshare. This they started doing like the uh, experimenting with the inside sales part. So our job was to call the people, interrupt their dinner time, and to get them to accept a Coles gift card. And then to go to the actual presentation. But I was a good. I figured out the process. So I would I would coach my folks. So, if, Victor, if you're not interested in timeshare, I tell you, do not tell them you're not interested in timeshare, that you don't have the money. Tell them that it's not something that you want to make the investment in right now. Because if you tell them you, don't, you can't afford it, they're going to make a way for you to afford it. Um, so we, I prepare my folks. I, I wanted to get my, my gift. If I got them to get a gift card, to, you know, go to the meeting, book the appointment, so to speak, I got a load of change on that. So now I did that. I did the phones. I mean, did the doing all this phones experience, and then I came back to Florida. So the first year now, so I did those two jobs. My first year, then I came back and I got introduced to the technology, like um, manage, uh, say, like uh, MCSE Net Plus. It was my break, and my uh, one of the my mentors and leader here in Florida. He had IT training company. Um, and this was back when those MCSE and Cisco, uh, Cisco certified ethical hacker and all these things were, were like getting the certification was huge. So we sold to folks who came back from military who had their GI bill and we had the training classes. So this is where I got introduced to training and then also to tech in a way. And I would be, the, I was a salesperson again, calling and selling to these individuals on a B2C side. And then we had B2B where we'd call to the government agencies and to the companies and try to get people to sign up for the training classes. I did that also remotely. I made some made money, and I remember when I came back to school, I wasn't driving like Brandon type car, but I came back, you know, and I had money, and my friends would they had a nickname for me, and I, I think your podcast is appropriate for this. But um, it, Nelly has a song, and in Nelly's song, he was like, "Must I'm be like, money." <laughs> Not that one. Close. He's like, "Yeah, I think it was that song." He's like, "I'm like Folgers. I'm young, black, and rich." So yeah. my, my buddies, am my, uh, love that song, man. We might have to clip that into this. Just there you go. What we're talking about <laughs> so my buddies uh, from Florida here. They were out there at school with me as well. Um, and, you know, we had our little Florida click and uh, they started calling me Folgers because they're like, bro, you're making money. Um, <laughs> so I did that. And then I, I finished off. I did server and that got the customer service side um, because I do it pretty decent with that. So when I did the remote gig, but I started doing server job and I've taken all the skills that I learned and I would make pretty decent money with the customer service standpoint um, and did that with the, with the with wingers. And my last year, I finally succumbed to the door-to-door security world. I needed money for a non-paid internship to New York. To, I was trying to get to Sony and um, I f- finished up there, did door-to-door security my last year and uh, made more money than my mom did that year because um, I would get the FAFSA stuff that she was doing, you know, trying to do for school. And I couldn't believe the money she made. It was like nothing. And I was making that in like three months or pretty darn close to what she was making. And um, it just, it, so sales became that, it became apparent that sales was going to be the thing, but schools weren't teaching sales. We had marketing classes um, that we, a marketing program, that's the closest thing I got to sales. And I got a chance to interact with some folks in a professional sales world. So doing all of that and being that in a tech company, the, the technology companies selling the IT training classes, um, that one got me into the B2B side. And that was my first introduction to it. Um, and I just, I love this idea, but it wasn't, since most of it was B2C that I've experienced with coming out, it got kicked in the face when I got into the B2B world. Um, but I did, uh, started doing, um, come back to Florida, I got recruited for a company where we sold um, um, 
services to the nursing facilities throughout the state. Uh, so I was like a traveling sales guy there. And um, then from that, I went into managed IT services, selling um, you know, the, the services there and got, and we started selling EHR, electronic health record, when a meaningful use became very, very apparent. Um, and I made some good connections and someone introduced me to a software company that helped companies go paperless. Um, so we got into that software as OptiView at the time. Um, so you so I don't mean to interrupt you again, yep. it, but it, again, it's, it's just so, so much context and so much good stuff. Sure. You mentioned something very quickly though. You said something about, you know, I was motivated to go to New York to Sony, mm-hmm. which is why I went and got the disc job. I think you said something like that. It was, what was uh, that yeah. about? They had a door-to-door security sales. I had a, one of the guys who got me into the security sales. He did an internship with Sony in New York, and he's like, I can get you introduced. So that's when I, that's when I started realizing the depth and power of your network. I was mm. like, I could get into Sony. So I had the interview and all that stuff squared away and the introduction, well, the, the connections to go to do the, um, to do the interview uh, with Sony. Um, and I had, com- I probably could go find the emails sort of going back and forth with this guy and, and so forth and telling me about what the procedure would be. And my goal was to get into the corporate scene and go to climb the corporate ladder, um, at right. that point. Um, and then I said, uh, so that it was rent in New York was like, and now it was, it seemed like a steal, but for sharing an apartment with someone, I probably had to pay like $1,500 for rent, yeah. um, a month and I needed money for food. So I was like, go sell security, make some money in that three months. Um, but I ended up not taking it because I got recruited to come to Florida and a company that recruited me, they counted my first, the school, they have a process where that first semester, first semester, the first three months working counted as my internship it was paid internship, but, um, mm-hmm. count as my last semester of college because I walked and got my diploma per se, but I just had to mm-hmm. get my final internship to get credited. So this, since this company recruited me and I came and worked for them. It was um, it got taken care of, but I was excited for Sony. Mm. But it, it the path took another way. So why why do you think? And I'm leading you here because I I, Please, I, yeah. I I think I know what the answer is. The why do you think so many opportunities kept coming your way? Like why do you I, think? Yeah, I got lucky, and I'm explain. And I don't believe luck in the in the superficial way. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna call that a cop yeah. out if you give me luck because there's got to no. be something to it. If you were like to dissect. And, and I really want to help the people who are watching or listening. It's like if you were to dissect who Donald Kelly is and why these opportunities seem to keep showing up. And let me let me define luck. And that go this goes to Jared Young. He was my one of my my regional sales manager when I did door to door security. He says there's no such thing as luck. Luck is an is an intersection where opportunity meets hard work. Um, so if that's the case, I got lucky because I was going actively taking advantage of opportunities. Um, I was, well, let's put it, I was actively doing things and then opportunities were coming my way, um, and taking advantage of that. I think anyone it's like, I go back to this and you said this already, and I know people may disagree with me and you can hit me up Donald C. Kelly on LinkedIn, but I feel that America is a land of opportunities. Again, if you have a social security number, you're good. Like, Anywhere else in the world, we would kill. Hopefully, that's not, not. We would do almost anything <laughs> to get a social security number to get to this country, because the opportunities that are here, and because we're outsider, we see opportunities sometimes that Americans that we take for granted. I'm being in South Florida. I drive down the street and I see all these folks who create opportunities. Who I've seen folks who created like a food truck cart came from Mexico and now they have restaurant chains throughout South Florida because they saw an opportunity and took advantage of it. Um, so, and again, there's opportunities 
if you're out doing things. But if you're not actively doing anything, if you're not busy, if you're not being, if you're not engaging, you're not going to come across those opportunities. So go back to whatever it was. Like with, I came to college and a roommate of mine saw my, instead of me being tied up to Dungeon and Dragons and video games in my dorm or my, in, my, in the house that I was living in, I was interacting with my roommates and I was meeting people. And because of that, dude saw my personality and, and that's not the reason why you should go into sales again. But he got a chance to know me and said, you should consider sales. And that inspired me to say, well, I know I like to be an entrepreneur. Let me go check this opportunity out. I went to Dish Network, knocked on their door and they said, yes, come in and took advantage of that phone sale. And then from there, I wanted, since I did well there, I knew there were other opportunities out there. So then I went to the timeshare one. Like there's so many like, things that you can fall on and get lucky with if you but engage and do it because there are so many opportunities that are out there. So that's why I was say lucky. Um, and that's why I felt like felt like that. And, and even, even even with the things that I'm experiencing now, um, I, I think a lot of that, I know a lot of that come back to just being engaged. Uh, go back to Atomic Habits and folks can go check this out. And we're not necessarily, we don't get any commission for pushing a book, but mm. There is a one of the things that it, it emphasizes is that sometimes by you doing a habit and doing something consistently over and over and over and over and over again, you then have breakthroughs or you have these opportunities or success, and people look at it and say, "Oh man, this person is overnight success." But now you get a chance to see that I've been selling, quote unquote, ever since I was a kid in Jamaica, and then formally selling since college, and then knocking on doors for two years while you're drinking Budweiser, mm-hmm. um, and you know for two years uh, in, in inner city. And all of that has led me to where I eventually made, in my mind, when I thought about starting a podcast in 2012, it was like opportunity again. Like, who cares? Let's do this thing. Um, let's see what let's can come from it. it. Let's do it. And then from that, we got mentioned in Entrepreneur. Jeb Blunt came. Jeb came on my podcast way back then. It was four podcasts out there, Victor. And I'll tell this. Mm. I'd say it's proud. I think it was four, maybe seven sales podcasts altogether. Three of them were garbage. Where nobody would do anything. Four of them mm. were out there. Jeb and this other lady had another one. And I was like, there's no room for another sales podcast. Um, Brian Burns and those guys, I think they had theirs. Um, mm-hmm. And and I and so I started, uh, I started a show. And because I started a show, as one of the first back then, we got lucky, quote unquote, right? <laughs> Opportunity mm-hmm. again, right? Um, and just started sharing what was working for me. Um, so all of that. I, I want to I, I wanna jump now. on this because you, you said something so, again, and I, I love what you say. You just keep dropping stuff on me. You said there were other podcasts out there, and I know people were telling you probably uh, there's no room for another podcast. Mm-hmm. I was told the same thing. A lot of sales trainers out there, there's not another, another room for another sales trainer. Hit that for a bit because I want people to realize it doesn't matter how much competition's out there. Take it from there. Yeah, there's so oh man, how much time we got? Like <laughs> go go man, just go. Um, there's a there there the thing is this this is a unique part to it. There are a lot of people who have podcasts. There are a lot of people who have um who are sales trainers, but there's not a lot of Victor. There's not a lot of Donald Kelly. And we don't need the whole world to come to us. And I go back to this. I gave a speech, um, yes. and and I, I was on a, a, my vehicle for that speech was Bob Marley. Reggae music wasn't made for everybody. If you go back to the story origin, Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and these guys were making reggae music in Jamaica. They they just started playing with stuff and they started making music to pro, you know to in, in protest to the government and some of the things that were going on. But the message of reggae music 
permeated with other human beings who were not Jamaicans when it get, went to Europe and Germany and England and, and these other places that it just started to flood. Mm-hmm. So these folks who heard the music, they said, I could relate to that. Therefore, the music, even though it wasn't designed for them, they liked the music and they gravitated towards it. Same idea. Victor, you have a way of teaching and expressing and, exp- and sharing value and teaching sales that only is unique to Victor. And there's a group of people who are going to love that right away. Yeah. There's a way that I can do it. There's a way that Jeb can do it and, 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 and uh, Wake can, oh, so, so, um, you know, that's Jill the Conrad can do it. Yeah, and there's so much. There's eight, I think we're up to eight billion people on this planet. There's no way, and I love you, Victor, but I just don't feel that you could take care of all eight billion of them by yourself. And it'd probably like, say, a billion that may be interested in sales. And yeah, of course you probably can. And by the way, get back to your point. Why not me? (laughs) Why not me, right? Why not me? Yeah, somebody's going to do it. Somebody was going to create that. Somebody's going to craft that. And can we relate to that messaging? To it, can they relate to me? Can I play my music and see who come and dance to it? And that's exactly what I decided to do. Let's play the music, see who came. And there's a lot of people who are dancing to the way that I, yeah. you know, strum the guitar right now. Yeah, Donald, I, w- I want to ask this question because it's just been, sure. it's been right here, and I go, should I ask him or not? I'm going to ask it, please. The how did you fight against you know your 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 parents, your extended family, entrepreneurs, right? Extended parent entrepreneurs. But yet we have an educational system that says, get a job, get a job, mm-hmm. get a job, right? Like, how did you overcome that? How did you fight through that? It, was it just because you knew that the entrepreneurial route could be the way to go? You can make it happen. But too often we get caught. We don't have your experience. I'll speak for those who are not raised with wonderful parents, the Holy Trinity, that you're programmed to just get a job, right? Yeah. Like, how did you overcome that? How did you fight through that? Says, you know what? I want to do my own thing. So it, I go, go back to them and my mom. So it, it's a, it's a scary part. Um, she wanted me to come to the state. She wanted us to come to the states to get better opportunity. Like that was the, the whole thing that she sacrificed doing the multiple jobs and all the things was so that we can have opportunity here. Um, when I, but in college though, because of that, I think she was a little bit more upset, accepting of it. When eventually I did it, I, I remember when I when we were going through tough times, I wasn't going to do it. I was just going to get a side job um, and work in high school, but she wouldn't allow me to work. She was like, no, you need to get your education. You need to go to college. That was her big thing. Get me to college. Um, like, I came all this way, kid. Nope. <laughs> I'm putting nothing in your way that's going to pull you away from doing this. You need to go to college. Um, that's why she was really a strong. It was hard for her to have me go on a mission at first because she was like fearful that if I go to on a mission, will I not go to college? But it was a total opposite, right? Um, so I, I went on, I, that part was great. And then I came home and I graduated and I got a job and all that stuff. So she was really excited and all that fun stuff and got into the corporate world and she was so proud. Um, but in college, I had whiteboards. I'm a big whiteboard fan. Um, so I put a, on a whiteboard at a fork in the road at one part. I said, I want to start a startup or I want to go back to get an MBA, go to Wharton or um, try to get to Wharton and Harvard. Those are the people that the schools I had. I I went and toured um, Northwestern in Chicago, um, and I, they have a great marketing program for their MBA. So all of these things I was looking at, um, and I put a fork or let's start a startup. TSC was that startup. I didn't purposely do it. It was just a whiteboarded and literally almost the same time. I can't make this stuff up, man, that it was the opportunity came in 2015. And um, 
the it, it just it TSC was getting sponsored, a podcast was getting sponsored. Um, but I remember I telling my mom that I'm leaving my full time day job to do this thing. And man, she bro, she 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 was confused. She's like, "What? What are you doing? Like, what do you mean? What are you doing? Like, you have a, you know, things are going good um, for you right now." But she didn't understand it. But just like, um, but one thing I got to give credit to Norma, my mom. She always says, "Like, she if whatever makes you happy makes me happy." Then, so she saw that she wasn't going to change the mind. She saw, and then got that stubbornness from her, right? So she saw these opportunities, saw these things, and then she was like supportive of that um, being, you know, she knew I was going to do anything dumb, essentially, because of the track record thus far. Um, so she she uh, just followed along, knew that I was going to always bounce back and knew that I had this entrepreneurial drive and it, knew it was going to get quenched. And I mean, I was well out of the house at that point and married. <laughs> so it was, she was like, you know, you're doing your thing. Um, but yeah. Now we, I employ my brother who works with me and I have, uh, we have all together, I think it's 12, 12 of us now on the team. Um, wow. and it's Congratulations, just fascinating. Man. Congratulations. So How was your, um, cause that's a big move, right? When you got, when you go solo, the, uh, my, my, my short story is I was doing exceptionally well. I got the engineering degree. I got the MBA yeah. and then I went solo and the engineering MBA and the MBA didn't mean a damn thing. Uh, I you love know, that background. It, yeah, thank you. <laughs> the, uh, the engineering and MBA didn't mean anything because it yeah. was like, you know, when you got to go street, you know, street level, now I had to go back to what you were doing, which mm-hmm. is like selling my mangoes, right? And so let, let's talk about your book, man. We haven't even talked about your Please, book. Yeah. We, got, we just like, we talked about everything. Talk, talk to me about, you know, you went from the candy man, right, <laughs> yeah, to, to the salesman, sell it like a mango, man. So, so talk to me about the book. Uh, give me, you know, tell me how it's been going with the book. You know, just go. Yeah, the book's been great. So the origin of the book came from, uh, I had a, um, a sound wisdom. When I started doing, when I was doing my, my, um, my software gig, I started Toastmaster. One of my buddies encouraged me to do Toastmaster, same one who encouraged me to start a podcast as well. Um, but we had another friend, she was also doing Toastmasters, tell me I should think about this thing. Two people that you respect tell you about it, you need to experiment with it. So I did that and um, started refining my skills. I did debate in high school. We didn't tap on that, but debate helped me to be able to articulate myself and to be able to bring up points and to you know find problems and be able to identify solutions. Again, perfect for sales, right? Your your articulation, like your your yeah. articulation, your communication is very good. Do you I know what I mean? Thanks, I, but I, but I, but I, when I say that, it's like I see a lot of speakers, mm-hmm. right? I see a lot of speakers who you know can give a good short forty five minute spurt of a speech, right? But yeah. Like your articulation, your ability to speak well. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And just conceptualize idea is exceptional, man. That's, I think that's one of your greatest skills. Thank you. Give a big shout out to Angie Weber, my debate coach. <laughs> nice right. cool. um, so with, with all of this, uh, my friend Jared, he got introduced to these guys that sound wisdom. And he was like, bro, you need to look at this kid named Donald. He is going to do something. Uh, so sound wisdom, they came to Florida um, and they were down here. So they went out to dinner and started to chat and spit ideas about um, a book. And um, in the podcast was growing. And I was, so they started flirting with me and, and they said, put something on paper. Let's talk about what a what a book could look like. And it went for like four years, man. I put something and I just didn't, I started working on something and it just wasn't quite catching. I got a book coach, Azul Turan. Big shout out to Azul. 
Um, and he said, uh, he, he, we looked at what I had and then he took it and, and, and I was like, he was like, yeah, I think we need to start over. And I was like, no, please don't say that. Um, and he said, tell me your story. What's the first thing you ever sold, Donald? And I told him about the mango. And he was like, that's it. Let's talk about that. He's like, anyone could write a book about how to close and how to sell, but we don't want to write another book. We need a book that's Donald, the music, you, that people are going to relate to. So the think about it though, Victor, when people are selling mangoes in Jamaica, it's not like the mango they're getting can import it from like, um, you know, Brazil or from Indonesia, the mango, the mangoes that were grown on the trees in the countryside, or it's the same mangoes that everybody has, same region. But what makes one mango seller more effective than another? Clearly not the product. It has when you sell an no. exact same thing. It's the, what the individual it's the presentation does. presentation of the product. Yeah. Is it, is it the presentation? Yeah, yeah, right? Presentation. So yeah. sell it like a mango. By the way, Puerto Rico, they back. would have the the coconut, the coconut guys with bro. Yes, same thing here, Jamaican too. These guys whack it up real good. Like man, no, no. <laughs> how, how come they don't lose fingers? <laughs> but um, the same idea though was what um, uh, was what made these one these individuals separate from another, and we took that and applied to B two B selling because everyone is selling. When I was selling software, we had competitors selling same thing, selling technology, same thing. Folks who were doing door to door, they were selling the same exact thing, and. You know, besides trying to differentiate on price, what are you going to make you different? And usually it comes down to what the individual did, excuse me, the individuals did. And that's what it was, a new seller's guide to closing more deals. And we broke down 12 ways, 10 ways of how these individuals, um, of how sales professionals can adopt these principles that we learn from people selling street cart and selling software. Um, and no matter what you sell, no matter it's house, cars, um, software, technology, coaching, training, sell it like a mango, um, differentiate it. Um, and that's what the the book what is all was, around. Uh, and in the book, like, what is one of your favorite differentiators? Uh, by the way, I'm totally, I'm totally with you that. Yeah. The, I think the sale, all product, I, I call it product and service parity, right? Everything's mm-hmm. almost the same, looks the same, sounds the same, that the salesperson has become the unique differentiator and present the product. You know, in your book, sell it like a mango, like, what is one, one of your favorite differentiators or strategies in there that people should, would make people want to read the book? Yeah, I, there's a couple that I uh, that I want to kind of highlight. Um, if you look at the, and, and it's nothing like true revolutionary because I'm a very simple guy as well. But the the notion of identifying triggers and selling based on triggers, and I'll give you the story, and then you could come back and look at it. When in Jamaica we look at people, and I talked about, I alluded to this in my my outbound message too. But when you look at people in Jamaica and they're selling mangoes, there are people who could sell mangoes everywhere. I sold mangoes and I was hiding behind a gate at our house because I was afraid of uh, uh, getting yelled and told no. So I stayed behind the gate and hope people came to the gate to see me and to buy the mango. Um, but the people who are selling, they're out there. And you just, you just don't want to be behind a gate or you just don't want to be out there in a fence. I found that people would sell mangoes at busy, at the, you know, the busy terminals, at the bus stops. I remember when I see folks selling oranges there too. Like they knew the bus was going to come at a certain time of the day and the stops were going to be there and people are going to get off and they're going to be hungry. Again, cues, identifying the right cues and selling to those people who are more likely to buy rather than just putting a table in front of your house and hoping people will buy. People are coming from a long bus ride. They're hungry. They need a snack going on a long bus ride. Let's go to where people are and we can focus on the cues. When it comes to B2B selling, 
I could try to sell to anyone, but I want to identify people who are more likely to buy my product or my service, and I need to identify and be aware of cues that indicate that. So somebody that's hiring or new to their sales leadership um, role or, or whatnot, um, you know, companies that are uh, seeing like turn in their, you know, especially right now is a great time for sales training too. People might think, but as the economy go down, um, we I tend to see based on the studies in the past that this is when companies want to make more sales. So there's gonna everyone's gonna scare and be worried, but then several months later they're gonna like I need to get these the great salespeople I have to sell even better. What can I do to help them? So the point is identifying cues and being aware of cues and using that. And then the second principle is to t- become like an entrepreneur. By the way, before you get to the second principle, I, I interrupt you guys because dude, you just, you just you just you give me some good stuff, but you don't you don't I gotta let you make it let it breathe. Sometimes you gotta let it breathe. <laughs> a little bit, right? And so you said two things. So I, by the way, I love the part about the triggers and everything, go where the audience is at, uh, your buyers are at. But you also said two things. Again, you say it quickly like it means nothing, but it means a lot if you really dissect it. And that is you were one, selling behind a gate. And then mm-hmm. the other one is you were setting up a table where there weren't a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I take that almost as an analogy. And I think it's very, you know, the, there's a psyche behind that. You know, the, the mindset is that some people like to sell from behind the gate because they feel safer or they think yes. it's safer to set up a table where there's no people at. So, so that to me yells, I'm, I'm afraid of selling. Yes. And so did you interpret it that way or is it just me? No, oh, I it was, I was afraid of selling. Um, and I think the, 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 the crazy, um, I was doing, I did a lot of inside sales before that, quote unquote. Let me explain what I mean by inside sales then. We would, we, since we had the shop as a kid, I was responsible to be in the shop as well. And we sold, you know, measure out the rice when someone came to buy rice or the, um, you know, like, you know, get the money and make change for small purchases and, and things like that in the family store. But those people were coming to us. I was inspired because I know my family sold. So I said, what, how, how hard could this be? But then when I got to that table and I put my mangoes on that in the front yard, I figured, you know what, maybe people will come to me to purchase my mangoes. And I need to re- I didn't, I needed to do outbound. I needed to get outside that gate. We literally had a gate, a white metal gate. Um, but I, people can't see me. They didn't know my mangoes existed, so to speak, unless they came to the yard. I needed to get outside that gate, but not only just outside the gate. Like I said, I needed to get to this part in the community where people who more likely were going to purchase mango. I mean, it could have been a great spot. If my mango was right outside by the shop, by the door, and people were coming to buy something, I probably could have done that. But again, but I was afraid of getting the no by me. I was afraid of approaching someone. Um, rather than I wanted them to right. approach me, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it was often, safer. I, 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 yeah, I, I run across salespeople. Well, here, let, let's talk about the entrepreneurs who's listening and watching mm-hmm. right now, dreaming about something they want to do. And the one thing you don't want to do is put your mangoes on the table and hope somebody comes <laughs> by and buys the mango, right? Mm-hmm. You, you got you to go, if, they, if you put the mangoes out there, in other words, people launch a new, they put up a website, they launch a product. And this is the analogy I'm drawing here. And then they go, okay, buy from me. I'm like, well, it doesn't work that yeah. way all the time. Sometimes people don't know your table exists, your website exists, yeah. and maybe they haven't tried the mango yet. And so yeah. that's why I love your story that you said, let me go to where the people are at. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wanted people to draw that connection that if they're, they're putting out a product and it's not selling, don't give up on it. 
you know, no. still stay with the why not me philosophy and just find a place where they're actually buying. So that's 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 the big lesson I took away from your story. You got great stories, by the way. <laughs> Appreciate it. They're like content rich. So you were going to mention the second principle, and I interrupted you again. Yeah, and it is it's entrepreneurship. I think sometimes as a as an individual contributor in an organization, we tend to think like an individual contributor. I thought about my territory as a as a franchise because that fuels me. I get excited to think business right this entrepreneurial way. So I started to create that my territory like that, the clients that we were go, prospects that I'm going after the, you know, the, the time that I focus on it, like I needed to be a good steward of this territory given to me um, that I earned um, and, and make my franchise the most successful in the organization. Um, so when I thought about like an entrepreneur, I remember when um, Lisette and I, we weren't getting a lot of leads from the company. So we said, screw it. Um, so thinking like an entrepreneur, we went and we started writing a blog post around the paper industry, um, document management industry. And we wrote this, created a WordPress website and we started writing these papers. Marketing weren't giving it to us. And um, it was crazy, Victor. We had a dude who came to the website, signed up to get more information and became a lead for Lisette and I. Um, and we we're like, no freaking way this worked. Instead of me sitting on my hand waiting for the company to give it to us, we went and made it happen. It didn't turn into a deal, but it did fuel something that this was possible, that we could make things happen. So looking at all the different areas, what components did the company gave us? They gave us a CRM, they gave us the phone, they gave us the uh, opportunity, you know, the, the content that we needed for like the, you know, brochures and all of that jazz. How could I utilize that? And Lisette was Cuban, so you know, you know this Caribbean hustlers, right? So we we took taking that same idea and saying, what can I? How can I take that and make it even better to help generate more business for me? And that also led meant to you didn't have to go to networking events, but I was an entrepreneur, quote unquote. So I'd go to networking events and I would go to places where my potential prospects would be, and all of those things thinking like that and wanting my territory to be better instead of starting my day like at nine o'clock, like everyone getting to the office. I would get to work earlier and I would listen to podcasts and I would read books and watch YouTube videos. And those things helped fuel me and give me the strength and the energy needed to kick off the day so I can plan day. I knew my time was important as an entrepreneur that I needed to make the sales rather than just I was get my good base salary and just, you know, I I'll bring in quota maybe. But I needed to make this a successful area. So thinking like that and thinking like an entrepreneur gave me another oomph and another level of uh, behavior and performance that was helped me to have a superpower over my peers who acted like employees. And, and I, I think that is, you know, I am so glad. I want you to play this part for your friend Azul. I'm so glad Azul kicked your ass and made you rewrite the book, right? I'm so glad he did that. The Because, I mean, this, what you just said right here, I think it's even, you know, again, it just layers on top of all the great things you've said already. But specifically is that you treated it like it was your own business, like you were an employee, but you treated it like it was your territory, like a franchise. You, I think you mm -hmm. used the word stewardship. It's mine. Because yeah. I always tell people, I said, if you're a salesperson, you're like a walking P&L center, profit and loss center. <laughs> And you yeah. should treat it like a business, right? Yeah. And the fact that they gave you some tools and you said, well, there's other things they didn't give me. So I'm going to create this WordPress site, put, you know, write some blogs. And you took ownership of that. I mean, that's powerful. So anyway, I know your time is valuable, man. I let people know where they can find out more information. Definitely, they're going to buy the book. Sell it like a mango. This is good. <laughs> After this podcast, it's going to sell, I think. But anyway, go yes. ahead. Uh, let them know where they can find more information about you, Donald. Hey, if you want to connect with me, uh, you can find me on any platform at Donald C. Kelly. Um, so if you want to just connect and chat as a, from a, you know, just a human level and be a, you know, 
be a friend, you can do that. Um, LinkedIn or Insta. If you want to get content, go to thesalesevangelist.com, click on our resource tab, and you'll find a lot of free stuff that we give out there. We have some free training courses. We have some podcasts, uh, quite a few, over 1,600 episodes now, um, and uh, other you know downloads that you can get. So get to that resource tab and pick according to what you feel that you need help with, and we'll be more than willing to, to assist you. I remain. All right. Let's go. <laughs> So anyway, let's close this out. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, go check out Donald's website, the Sales Evangelist Podcast. We didn't talk about that enough, but you can kind of get an idea of the type of content you're going to receive once you subscribe to that podcast. Also, check out his website. Check Connect with him on, on LinkedIn. Donald C. Kelly, the Sales Evangelist. Book, sell it like a mango. And that is it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you watch or listen. After you do that, check out Donald Kelly. And after you do that, check out the Sales Velocity Academy. And on that note... This is Victor Antonio, always reminding you, selenate hard when you know how. Take care. Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. 